0: David Donaldson here with Joe Martin here for another episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. We are two weeks removed from what we would call Keller Williams Family Reunion, which is a great time where we get together every February, talk about state of the market, vision of where we see real estate going, and really basically getting together with 18,000 of our closest friends, right, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I
1: love family reunion mainly because we get two times a year, February and August to get ourselves out of being in the business and work on the business. And one of my favorite parts about family reunion coming back was just the vision of 2023, mainly talking about the industry, the market and being able to say, okay, what are the numbers and what is it? Because it tells you a story. And it's great to look at numbers and be a nerd like I am. Right. Like I like finance (laughs) and, and dealing with all those funny things. But hey, if you can't interpret the numbers, you tell a story. Is it's the story that tells you, how do I move forward? And I think that's the most impactful piece of what the vision for 2023 coming back to Flamer Union was.
0: I agree. Now, for those of you that have been following us for a while, and believe it or not, we're closing in on 50 episodes. So I'm pretty excited about that. But for those of you that have been tuning in each week, today's going to be a little bit more of a visual experience, because we're going to share some material. So while you're driving and you're listening, awesome. Awesome. We're going to be hammering up some points for you, but if you happen to have the opportunity, check us out on YouTube, right? Because we're going to have these slide decks available for you so you can kind of see exactly what the trends are, what's the vision, what are we, what are our talking points and where are they coming from.
1: So, Dave, what's our handle on YouTube? Do you know what it is? Uh, Entrepreneurial Impact. Perfect. So, if you want to watch the whole thing that's being recorded, Entrepreneurial Impact on YouTube is the handle. Um, I also have it in my link tree. So, if you go to Jade Martin561 on Instagram, my link tree has it. You can get right to Entrepreneurial Impact so you can see the video. But we'll do a great job of being your audio tour today through this slide deck. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. So the
0: first one, obviously, we want to talk about home sales, right? Because home sales is what's driving. It's what we're hearing about the news. We hear that's what's the driving the conversation is what's going on with home sales. Well, if we look back, we see our historical trends. This is going back 20 years. Actually, this is going back 30 years, what we're seeing on the screen. But Joe, when we look at this trend line, right, it's right about 5 million million sales, right, is what's
1: happening each year. But where are we sitting here? So what's interesting for us is that you're seeing that in the height of our market in our little like pandemic skyrocketing up of sales price in real estate saw our our crest in 2021 at 6.1 million, right? And then we closed out 2022 with 5 million. So you had a 1.1 million drop off in sales right well when you look at what was back in like 06 to 07, and even saying that 07 to 08 that 08 was really the bottoming out you you saw from 07 to 08 a drop off of 900,000 and from 06 to 07, you saw 1.5 million drop off so even though 1.1 is a it's a drop off like that let's not kid ourselves it's not nearly as bad as what you're seeing when it was back in 06, 07, 08 right and i think that's some cause to be very happy about, and you'll see later on the slide that, that some of it actually has to do with constraints on inventory, not on qualified buyers. I think that's the biggest
0: difference from what we talk about. Now, it is ultimately at the end of the day, when we talk about how the associates are feeling the pain, the pain is in transactions, the pain is in volume, the pain is in commissionable income. The reasons there are pain are dramatically different, right? So having been licensed and actually got my license in 07 and living through that, right, versus where we are now, The pain is real. The conversation couldn't be further apart. Couldn't be further. And I think that's what's important to to know and stay away from the news is that they try to make it sound similar. We couldn't be further apart.
1: Yep. Remember, negativity sells eyeballs, right?
0: You know, like if we could just unplug all the televisions in our consumers' living rooms, we'd be much better for it.
1: Yeah, I might actually have my hair still. Um, that be, that being said, this, this slide deck is this slide right here on home pricing annually. This goes back to what Dave was speaking about. It's a totally different scenario about our economy and the market and real estate. So what you're looking at, the Fed and also just anybody in the economy is simply looking at home pricing and say, we want our homes to appreciate at about a four percent year-over-year long-term trend line, right? And that trend line goes back from 1990 to 2022 that we've got stats on, and on this slide deck as a projection for 2023. So when you look at a four percent year-over-year increase in price appreciation, if it's above that, we could say, "Hey, the market's a little too hot." If it's below that, it means that we're in a little bit of a you know dry patch. We need to start looking at what do we got to do here to get back to that four percent trend line. So what you see here between, oh, what do we got, oh, 03 through, let's call it oh 08, you had above the 4% year over year trend line. And in 20, 2006, you saw a 21% above the trend line, 4% growth. So when you see a 21% above trend line, that is hot, like that, that is nuclear hot. That's like, hey, the floor is lava and I got to get off it, right? Right. Um, so when you look at our trend line over 2020 to 2022, you're seeing about a 12% above trend line. So it's about, i call it a little over half of what it was back in 04 to 08. But the difference is back then, if you get fog and mirror, you get a, a mortgage, whereas right now you actually see lower mortgage applications because of pricing and the actual need to have solid credit. And I think that's the important part here is this once again goes back to the inventory constraints.
0: Yeah, 100%. And we're still above trend, but not nearly as dramatic, right? And, you know, for the third year in a row. And the interesting thing is to get back on trend, took about 13 years just to play catch-up. That's how how dramatic a drop it was last time, right? Correct. When we look at, now let's look at home appreciation for from a forecasting measure, right? What it was, right? We obviously saw so home appreciation over 2022, you know, was was average of 12, almost 13% with a high of 18% in 2021 last year down to 10. Now going into 2023, now I, I take a little umbrance with what this, but again, understand this is a national forecast. They're calling us essentially saying flat. Even flat is good because we've had great gains. When I look at Virginia, when I look at Northern Virginia, when I look at some of the beach areas, some, even heck all of Virginia, when I talk to the different ages, I don't think this necessarily holds true what we're going to see here against the national average or
1: what they're forecasting. Yeah, I I agree with you, Dave. I mean, we definitely benefit from when you look at Northern Virginia with federal funding and government, things like that with higher price point um, incomes. And then you also look at the Norfolk, Virginia beach area with military, as well as, you know, central Virginia, you're getting into a lot of schools and things like that and medical. So you've got a lot of stabilization within incomes and the economies that are thriving around those, those anchored, um, economic hubs. What's also fascinating about this home pricing thing that, yeah, you look at fluctuations on home pricing, annual appreciation, but what's really fascinating on this one is if you take your hat off of just like what's going on in the economy and say, what about wealth building? So let's just play this one out, right? From, so from 1990 to 2000, there was a 4% annual price appreciation, right? Then from 01 to 05, there was an annual price appreciation of 8.8, right? Right. Then from 06 to 2011, you had an average price reduction of about 4.5%, right? So let's just go through, this. For 10 years, I had 4% increase. For five years, I had about a 9% increase. For about five years, I had a drop of 5%, right? But then from 2012, 2019, 6.37% annual price appreciation over those seven years, right? Then I had three years of 12.49, and then I've got flat. So what that tells me, if you take away your equity buildup, right? And the fact you locked it in interest rate and could refinance it in some, somewhere around probably a 2.5 to 3%, and you had that type of annual price appreciation that even if you had five years of 20% drop-off, you crushed it from 1990 in just annual price appreciation, let alone the tax benefits, and the equity buildup and the debt pay down, right? So like the amount of wealth creation just shown since 1990 by anybody that bought a home is insane. Absolutely, and while it's
0: flat, the gains are just, they're just crazy. And we know that look they're gonna to continue to actually hold or go higher. Correct. And so we transition, we talk about total market volume, right? We're talking about trillions of dollars right, and, and property changing hands here. So, and what this kind of cool here is that we've highlighted the total number of agents in correlation to what was actually tra- uh, transacting in volume, right? And these are what we call our leading and lag indicators, right? The lead is saying, hey, sales are going up, therefore volume is going up. Then we hit the amount of associates that we have. But as the volume starts to go down, now being our leading indicator, right? Number of agents is still high, but then lagging behind it to drop. So that's kind of what we're, start, we're expecting to see here, right? So if you look back in the 05, at the height, we had 1.3 million associates. Then we had the recession, we dropped to a million agents. As expected, the part-time agents, the people that found it difficult because they didn't treat it like a business, got out. Yeah. So the number of sides starts to change. Now prices have gone up year after year after year, right? To where we hit 1.6 million licensed associates in the United States, right? Now this year, what are we seeing? What's happening and what's changing, which we knew would happen because volume or the ability, right? Volume is so strong. The ability to transact is getting much, much harder.
1: Yeah, the other thing to know about this, when you look at total market volume, the you can see the volume, part of the reason the volume has skyrocketed is just because you're, you saw a 13% annual price appreciation in a three-year period. So for three years, you had 13%, 13%, 13%, 13%. So yeah, the volume went up, the units are going down because inventory is still constrained. The insight around why we've got the agent count up here is that the best indicator of a shifting real estate market is when agent count is at its highest. The reason behind this is that it's a lag indicator when people get into the business because they see, oh, price appreciation homes are skyrocketing. I see what the commission is. I can spend $2,500 to get a licensed real estate, right? Like These are all the things. So when you look at the best indicator from NAR about when a shift's going to happen to market is look at when agent count with affiliates of NAR is at its highest. That's usually the best indicator to sell. Now, once again, I'm not a uh, licensed uh, financial advisor, so this is just my humble opinion. Don't take this for granted. But what I'm saying is that there's a trend that as agent count gets higher, that's when you should actually be thinking about transition out. So if I looked at this, Dave, and say, because we all know history repeats itself just with different people, when I see that our agent count in probably 10 years gets over 1.8, okay. 1.9, like, that's probably where I should be thinking about hmm, how do I, you know, consolidate some of this and reallocate my, my real estate holdings, right? Because you're seeing that trend. You saw seven six one was at the low point, got to 1.3, went down to one one mil, got back to 1.6. I wouldn't be surprised we see a three to four hundred thousand uh agents fall out. So, like if you're thinking about, hey, it's about a three to four hundred thousand swing up, that's when you got to think about, hey, what's that indicating to you? So anyway, I digress. It's my rabbit hole. No, no, you're good. And you know what, and what's not on
0: here, right? And here, I think for the first, if we look back over this trend, this appreciation for licensed agents, but for the first time ever, what we really saw in with the amount of venture capital that came into the industry as well, right? Because they found that, hey, maybe there's a disruption, how the large companies get a hold of our commissions, right? And get involved in the transaction. We saw a lot of that happening. That went around every day as they started to pay and acquire market share. I really think it's good. You're going to see a lot of that money come back out. So those organizations, those brokerages that were founded and funded right by that venture capital are really going to have a tough time maintaining the relationships with the consumers because they don't truly understand where we are as a market. I would agree, 100%. So
1: that, that's just, that's my side of it, right? All right. Can you so, agree, so, Can you off, agree. What's that? No, I think just when you think about it, right, when everyone's placing bets, right, and I think the thing to understand is that when you look at, say, you go into a Tesla um, dealership, it's not that they have, you know, 10,000 cars on lot, they've got a couple showroom models, they got a 1,200 square foot room. But the thing that Tesla never got rid of was the interaction with the sales associate. That people, when they're making a large financial purchase and they want to have advice, they want to go through emotions, they want to have a consultant. I feel the same thing is always going to happen in real estate is they got to have local market expertise with the relationship, with the negotiations of what's going to get the deal done because you're always going to have motives on buying and selling. And that's not very clear cut of just here's my Carvana thing, ship my car. Right. And that, that's why I think the agent's always going to have a, a, a place in the transaction. And, but the agent's still got to fight for their turf, right? Yes. That's the, so
0: the agents have to fight for their turf. 100%. All right. So when we look at inventory on an annual, look what's happening. If we go back to 06, again, we start to now understand why things are different, right? When I say that things aren't the same, now we're starting to look at, let's really look at, understand why. Inventory was crazy, right? Average appreciation was up. Inventory was up. But where's our supply, right? At the height of it, 10 months supply, nine months supply. 06 or 07. And that has gone down over the last 10 years, right? Four months supply, five months. I mean, Joe, the average normalized market is six months supply. Mm-hmm. Right? A seller's market is three months supply. Do you realize that now we hit 30 days and people panic and don't understand true realization of what's happening, that it's still such a scorching hot market that they think and they panic. We're at 2.7 months of supply. And that was at the high when rates were high, right? It's going down again.
1: Yeah. Um, what's What's fascinating is you have an inverse, uh, when you have high, high, high appreciation, you've got low months of inventory. When you've got low appreciation, you have higher months of inventory, obviously, because you're looking at just general um, economics of supply and demand, right? That, hey, this thing's not worth that much. I got to unload it to at least, you know hedge my losses well if everybody's doing that you're obviously gonna have low appreciation which means you're gonna have a lot of inventory come on well as a us housing market we have done terrible about bringing new inventory with home builders to the market and we're gonna see later on some slides is actually multifamily starts are actually higher which is a challenge yeah. institutional money but this is the thing to understand is that in the last three or last oh geez from 2017 we've been under four months of inventory uh, right. And you've seen double digit price appreciation. So when people when you get back to affordability, that's another issue is that people are like, OK, I can sell this. But what am I going to afford when I go yeah. down sale? And if I know that I'm making this much money and it's, it's outperformed the real like the stock market, I'm going to want to hold on to that. So you're seeing people hold on to stuff. And I think what's going to be even worse, Dave, is that you've got these low interest rates of sub three percent. And you're going to say, well, I can get out of this. Yeah, I could sell it because I got equity build up. But now I got to go in at seven yeah. and yeah i can refinance but mm. that is the absolute biggest factor that nobody's talking about that i'm hearing on the
0: news nobody's talking about how that's going to affect the time frame and we'll get into some slides a bit of how long somebody stays in the house where are they going to go yeah so And you know, i also think it's
1: like even if you did logic though dave like think about the psychology of that if you're saying like oh, i was at two eight three percent and like, yeah, like I get a better whatever the thing might be, I get a better pricing on it. And yeah, I can marry the house, date the rate. I love that little lingo. But that, that's a whole nother story for another time. But my point is, is that like you can't bet against the market because you don't you don't have a crystal ball. So when someone says like, yeah, you know, you get a better price, you can refinance it later, but like we just saw what happened with with Silicon Valley Bank. They just they just Friday, we're like, oh, yeah, we don't have enough money to carry, and you've got the Fed saying that, oh, we, yeah, we're not going to bail them out. Like, so you really want to put that type of foot into the market and say, yeah, Dave, buy the house right now at seven percent. You'll be able to refinance it. Will you? Like, are you actually like? I, psychology and I. I All I, right. Well, let's figure, Here we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Sixteen point six percent back in eighty two.
0: If you go back to these 40 years, the average was 7.81. Now again, that's the average over 40 high, dramatic highs and historic lows. But there we are, right? That's the balance. Where were we at just last, the end of last year? Seven percent, right? Then if you look at the last 20 years, okay, or sorry, last 30 years, 92, just under six percent, right? I got my first house, 8.6, 8.5 percent refinanced all the way down, bought a couple of investment properties. Then you look at, okay, what's our average for the last 10 years? Right? 3.8%. Now, dramatic lows for the COVID years, right? Correct. Ridiculously low rates. Now, here's what I know. I remember being interviewed 10 years ago saying, hey, we'll never see five percentages or never see these rates again. (laughs) They were below five right because then we knew that they needed to be and wanted to be north of 5. Then when they dropped to 275 everything went crazy, right? The refi market went nuts. Anybody that was buying did it. If they didn't buy, they refied and rehabbed their house. That ties back to that inventory issue. Look at what I just did. I either bought during COVID at a low rate, I refinanced during COVID at a low rate and improved my house. So that I don't need to. So when we talk about time frames, of average life expectancy in a house, which we know typically falls in that three to seven year window, yep. that's got to go higher, which is going to affect home sales.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see what really drives people's motives, because once again, it comes down to psychology, right? That people got to feel good about the decision they're making. So like there's the five D's, and I don't know if I butcher this one, but do diapers, uh, diamonds, divorce, death, and deployment. Ah, I got it right. Oh, I'm stops. there you go. Downsizing. That's the best, right? Did you miss downsizing? Oh, I said deployment, but yeah, I guess we can go six Ds. But right, six. Uh, my, my point though, is that like you, people are still going to have life events and that's what's going to be so important as the real estate expert of choice in your local market to stay in top of mind with your, your database, to stay in front of these people and say, I, Joe, I, Dave are the subject matter expert in anything real estate because life events are still going to happen. Whereas if I can make a choice not to sell because of a pricing you know, loan, I won't, but you know, if I've got to move, like I don't have a choice, right? So people are still going to transact houses are still gonna turn over. Yeah, you know, what's crazy to think of and the rates have
0: an effect and they did, right, that was the end of the year which traditionally we slow down anyways. Rates went really, really high and it got everybody scared because they hadn't seen rates like that in a really, really long time. So you had, you had a multiple, pumped the brakes. That's what happened, right? So where inventory was already low because we just would talk to that that they weren't north of three months of supply, let alone six, they hit the brakes right and then there was nothing to buy right? right? so there was no transactions taking place really outside of the minimalistic d's that we're talking about there then you apply a little bit of downward pressure like okay let's release it a little bit january february right let's lower the rates a point let's get down to those sixes then what happened to the floodgates of buyers writing offers and showing up to open houses
1: yeah you saw just it. like that you saw, you saw an 18, in the first week of February, you saw an 18% uh, week over week increase in uh, mortgage applications. Yep. So they, as soon as they dropped it by the 25% basis point hike, you basically saw everybody go on sub 7%, jumped in and locked. You saw applications jump up. So there's a need out there, but you've got a lot of sensitivity with rates because psychologically people are like, ah, I don't want seven, right? So anyway. Yeah, it, but it only took
0: a little bit. It's funny, like, so psychologically, You're like you're talking about six is better than seven, and that's where that turned it on again, right? Yeah. Because even though they were high, we didn't slow down for long, and we didn't slow down long enough to have any really long substantial effect for what that was going to do to the market. 100. All right. So we jump in and let's talk about the economy a little bit because there are things at play that drive all of these things, right? So if we talk about gross domestic gross domestic product, okay, I'm going to throw that one over to Joe because. He's the, this, the stuff is,
1: this is the stuff on the back of the things that you buy that don't that doesn't say made in China, right? No, I'm just joking. Here's the thing about the US economy, right? We we have basically outsourced everything overseas when it comes to actually creating trinkets and, and widgets and things like that. So the, the challenge of the US-based economy is it's all service-based, right? That you're it's either a tech service or it's a some type of like packaging internal, like transit. We're not actually producing that many hard like physical assets. Now, I want to just also put this out there. Our, the final recession, a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. We had a recession in 2021, right? Q2, Q3, right? So we had that. Now, what you're seeing here is that, yes, 2020 didn't know what the heck was going to go on with COVID, and we saw a minus 3.4% year-over-year year drop, but then you saw a 5.7 increase, and then you saw a 2.1%, right? Now, you want to be somewhere around 2 to 3% inside a gross domestic product annually because that's actually showing a, a, a substantial growth, and you want that to happen inside the U.S. But when you're looking at what's happening within the service industry is that people- aren't wanting to go back to work to do their services, whether it's in restaurants or whether it's in technology, they don't want to go to offices, they don't want to do you know whatever else it is. You can see it out there, like it's hard to find employment. You're going to see a struggle in gross domestic product because we are a service-based industry. If we don't get people back into working because they need to, you're going to see drops in that. The other indicators you can see within gross domestic product of what's going to be an indicator of just some hard times in 2023, you'll call it headwinds, if you will, um, is going to be the fact that uh, you've got interest rates going up, right? That's happening because they're trying to control inflation. And you're also seeing now savings rates drop and debt increase. So there's most people, 90% of the population is motivated by avoiding pain. Well, if I don't have any savings, my debt's stop piling up and I can't sit on the couch anymore, or I, you know, my gig thing that I was doing on the side, isn't really panning out. You're going to see a flush into the market to actually get employed, to make sure that they can make those payments. And I think you're gonna see some challenges in gross domestic product, mainly because all these things are coming to a head and something's gonna blow and, and you probably have a black swan on that. So anyway. Well, you know, you know and the
0: other thing to kind of, I and mean, I'm looking at this and they follow pretty close proximity too. If you look at 91, 92, election year, right? 08, 09, election year, right? 1920 election year. Yep. The things all, everything has an effect. So when we talk about unemployment, we've been down for some time. Now, this obviously, COVID years kind of took a big spike, right? Post-recession years took a big spike, but we got it under control again, right? Now we're all the way down to three percent. basically the only people that, there are some people, but it's really, really low, right? It's it's is a transitional period. People are going from job to job. but those that are working and having the jobs that they want, they're staying put, right? Those that want to change are changing and able to do
1: so. You're also dealing with a challenge right now that has to do with like worker engagement of the people that want to go work, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people that, when you look at unemployment rates, has to do with the fact that people are just choosing not to go back in the workforce which is going to hinder some of these challenges. It actually drives down some of your unemployment numbers. Uh, But what's going to end up happening is once again, with the savings rates and the debt increases, you're going to see this. You really want unemployment to be around 4% anyway for a robust economy because then then you actually have competition. So like what happens here is that there's not enough um, demand from like the employees to force competition of like standards around who the employer actually hires. Because right now you're getting the bidding wars about like, who's willing to actually transition their jobs to an open vacancy in, in workforce. And you see this with small business owners and, and corporate executives, so anyway.
0: All right, so then we're gonna jump, we'll jump into inflation.
1: All right, there's all kinds of people talking about inflation, inflation this, inflation that, inflation, that, there's like, this is the sky is falling, right? So let me just break this down. When you see Powell come on, so our Fed chair, Jeremy, Jeremy Powell, or Jerome Powell, what do you call his first name? Sorry, <laughs> I apologize. Powell, right? The thing about it is he is going to cite core CPI. Core CPI is all of your consumable goods, except for oil, heating, um, gas, those type of things, and your um, your groceries, right? So when you think about the US, like normal middle-class household, gas, oil, heating, utilities, and then you throw in groceries, that's where the majority of their, besides their house, that's where they're spending a ton of their money on. So if you discount out what the cost of all those goods are, you're not actually understanding the affordability of what's it, what it's like to be a middle-class household in America. And we know that middle-class consumption drives the most robust economy because if I have, if I've got a family of five, which I do, and I make $50,000 more, I'm more likely to spend that 50,000 because my kids need consumption of stuff. As opposed to a single person that's maybe making five hundred thousand, they make another fifty k. They're not spending that. So when you think about where does the majority of our consumption happen, because we're a service-based and consumption-based economy, it comes from the middle class. When you take out almost seven percent of their buying power, like or sorry, seventy basis points of their buying power, that's a challenge. It's going to crush. It's going to cause debt to go up, and it's going to cause savings to go down, and that's going to be a problem as we look into twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four from where the economy goes due to GDP growth.
0: Exactly. All right. So we go ahead and we look at okay, what does all this have to do? And how this is affecting transactions and the sides of an agent and what they're doing the business against. We look at the average sides for an associate historically has been about ten sides a year. What we just talked about with the amount of agents. Associates, licensed people in industry, so that obviously more people means less sides to go around, right? So that drove the sides down, and it's been ish, right? Seven, eight number. It is really going down to six point three sides now. That's a factor of the amount of agents in the business, right? And the factor of the amount of possible homes that are up for sale, people because people aren't selling, or new construction isn't coming to the market, so drop all the way to
1: 6.3. Yeah. What's also interesting in this one is, this is why it's so important. If you take nothing away from this podcast is go get in front of your clients, go maintain your market share. Here's why. If you know that the amount of sides are gonna go down, right, and the amount of agents are gonna go down, that means your market share can actually stay the same. So say you had a hundred units and the current market share you had last year was 60. right? So you have 60% of the market. But say the market goes down to 60, right? And you maintain just your 60. You don't even grow, you just maintain. You now own 100% of the market, right? And if you own 100% of the market, and then you say, well, how do I maintain 100% of the market? And it goes up to 100 units again, now you're at 100. So, and I know I'm using 60, 100, and like full monopoly of the market. What I'm getting at is if you can just maintain your unit market share that you had the prior year in a compressed market where less units are being done, you can just maintain that unit count. What's going to happen in two to three years is that you're going to grow the percentage of market share year over year. So you actually come out thriving when most people are not. So what that means is do your lead generation, make your calls, get in front of people, talk about real estate and help your people as the subject matter expert inside of your local area. Yep. So as we start to kind of
0: wrap down, right, understanding that you've got to work harder to maintain control, but also come out on the other side ahead. You can do that all right this excited kind of tie back to volume right so volume is going to go down per agent that's going to correlate against the size per agent right? yep now average price is higher so their volume maybe doesn't offset but we really look at you got to pay attention to that unit count right because your volumes increase you may not recognize it because your commissions are there right but your units are down you've got to pay attention to your sides mm-hmm. Listings with price drop. (laughs) So I kind of laugh at this one. I snicker
1: a little bit. (laughs) I would, I would too. So if you're in your car right now listening or you're in your office, wherever it may be, raise your hand if you had listings have price reductions over the past like five months. Because if you did, you were not crazy. Like everybody had them. So if you look from July till December, you almost one of every two listings had a price reduction. Right? So if you were trying to like, like, just hammer the point down to your clients about this isn't the right price, blah, 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 like the data shows it the past five months, one of every two listings had a price reduction. So we're seeing that, that now, hey, you can't go back to January of 2022, you can't even go back to April or even May, like you have massive price reductions happening, because the affordability of those interest rates are now seeing it to the pockets of the buyers. But look at that dramatic drop from November to December, and if yeah. we add the data for January
0: to February, we're quickly approaching back down to that ten to twelve percent number of those that were trying to effectively set the market, set records, right, or were way out of whack yeah. of their understanding of the market, right? But now we're back to that price point where price drops and are waving a lot of other things yeah. back out of out of the way again.
1: Yeah. Right. The market determined it's, it's its new crest. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And now we talk about new listings, right? They're not coming to the market. For everything that we just laid out, and we can also tie into that new home construction, which has gone up, but still has not caught up from not building over the last 10 years at the levels they were building before. So we look at this at an all-time high of the last couple of years of 332,000 new listings. In June, right of 2022, what did we just look at? Price drops started happening at the all-time high of listings on the market. Now, where are we at? In December, 126,000
1: new listings, right? It's the lowest new listings in the past two years. Yeah, there you go. That's new math we're talking about here. It's insane. Or is that all math? I mean, look at that. You're looking at 126,000 new listings in December. You look at the past 24 months, it's the lowest new listings yeah. in the past 24 months, right? So this just an indicator of your price stability. Um, and we'll see. So when we talk about, you know, everything that's happened
0: at price, prices adjusting, is there a bubble bop? Well, this, this is kind of clears that up really, really nicely for us. Just right? that distressed sales, non-existent, less than 1%. You go all the way back to 08 07 right that was 47 uh, sorry 40% of the market back then 27% was foreclosure 13% was short sales that's 08 50% of the market that was the market yep. right we rectified that we got out of that people fixed credit people were able to buy again they got through their 7 year window to be able to purchase again depending on where they were right now 18 till now no such thing people got equity they got equity. Doesn't mean people necessarily won't run into something here and there, but they can get out. Getting out's not an issue. 100%. New home starts. Well, 05, 06, 07 pre-boom, look at that. Crazy, crazy highs for new starts. As high as 17, right? 17,000 new starts. I'm sorry, 1.7. I can't do math. I'm reading my screen wrong. The numbers just they didn't make sense then. New construction was everywhere and way overbuilt and oversold. Fillers went out of business. They consolidated, bought each other out and stopped building. 08, 09, 10, 11. It was 13 or 14 before we really started to see an uptick. But they were so far behind where they needed to be. Look at that trend line, right? Even now, we're just at the trend line. They peaked past it last year for a little bit, but we're hovering at that trend line. So a decade's worth, a million new starts we're trying to make up from,
1: and we can't get there. I think the interesting point when you look at, once again, the data nerd that I am is that what's the data tell me? What's the story? And if I know the story, I can then have a plan forward to counteract history, right? History repeats itself just with different people. So look at history so you know what your plan is. Look at what this thing's telling you is that the past, since 05, the average long-term average has been a thousand, you know, a million, or sorry, it's a million home starts, right? So when I look at that and I say, great, you know, we had 991,000, 1.1 million in 2021 and a little over a million in 2022 we're maintaining the long-term average, but our our inventory is sub three months of inventory. So this tells you that one, people have equity, they got low interest rates. So that's not coming to market. The new home construction is getting margin cuts into their their products. So they're not starting enough. So like, even if we just continued at the long-term trend line, we're never going to get back to the inventory that we need to, to actually get six months of balanced market, which tells you Price appreciation is going to still happen because the basics behind economics is supply and demand. There's still not enough supply. The elite indicators of where supply is going to go is still not saying it's going to outtrend where it is today, meaning you're going to have a deficit from the demand of buyers, meaning that the prices are still going to go up. Or stabilize in some markets.
0: Exactly right. So if we just kind of trickle through here. first time home buyers well they can't really be first time home buyers with the way that the current market sits right they're being squeezed out rates are really really high for first time buyers sales prices are really really high there's no competition so that first time buyer opportunity is really really thin in a lot of areas right we're talking about 40% of the market historically is first time home buyers right we're at 20
1: i mean We've never seen numbers this low for first-time buyers. This has everything to do with affordability. So if you think about your pool of units, 40% of all units were first-time home buyers, startup homes. In 2022, only 26% of the market was first time home buyers. So this is where affordability becomes a challenge because not only can't, you can't have high interest rates and crazy price appreciation. So that's where you're seeing like something has to happen here and you're gonna see on the next slide, what's going on with multifamily. That's something we gotta figure out because if you look at the delay of step-up homes and things like that, it's gonna trickle over the years because first time home buyers then have to buy a secondary home and they have to move up and move up. They're not doing that, you're gonna have challenges. Yeah, actually this is the last
0: one, so we don't have multi-family here built into the slide deck for today's conversation. Oh, but sorry. No, that's okay, and you're, look guys, we ran a little bit long today, but the, the conversation was incredibly important, right? Understanding your numbers, your language of real estate is so unique and so specific to you in your local marketplace, but these national numbers tell a story for you to talk to, right? Getting in front of your consumer is the end-all be-all of everything. Don't let their education come from the national news because that's not an education. You have to work harder to be in front of your sphere. You've got to work harder to go out and have conversations with people. You've got to work through the social media channels. you got to use video. Use the numbers that we're providing to you to have conversations and outreach the people that are in your world because they need to know.
1: So what I think this goes into, Dave, when we use this like analogy or this this saying, I forget the, the, I gotta find out the person said it, but it's always stuck with me. Is that, you know, strong people make great times. Great times can make lazy people. Lazy people create bad times. So when you're about to see over the 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 horizon that like there's some there's some trials and tribulation and some problems coming up, it's saying okay things aren't gonna be easy anymore. So what are the back-to-basics things I need to do, which is use your database, get into a CRM, outreach and market yourself, make sure that you know which financial products are there and get back into negotiations about how you close the deal. But most importantly, you have a database, you're a real estate professional, go find the motivated. This is not a time to sit back and catch. This is a time to go out, hunt, go out and forage and figure out where are these people at how do I stand out in the mind of the consumer so I can make sure that I'm the subject matter expert, that they're seeing a value so that I represent that in that sales transaction? Because we still saw, even with you know a, a substantial change in 07 to 08, and right now, people still bought and sold real estate. How you do that is different, though. And that's the thing that everybody listening to this podcast needs to understand is you are the person that is best capable to make sure that the home purchases happen for people. There we go. So everybody, thanks for joining today. This this great
0: information. Come back to your market centers. Go to your offices. Talk to your brokerages. I don't care where you are. Understand what's happening. Protect your turf. Take your unfair share. You can throw all that out there. The numbers are what the numbers are and you matter. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today, and we'll see you
1: next week. Thanks for listening to Entrepreneur Impact with Joe and Dave.